Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk to you guys about everything that happened within the world of professional wrestling from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, however, just like the previous episodes before, Impact Wrestling, I do not have nothing for you this episode. Um, Impact Wrestling this week, they aired a episode where you saw matches that were not previously released. So that happened this episode. I will not be talking about that because I usually talk about things that have a storyline driven that will progress the uh, product. But with Impact Wrestling rebranding themselves back as TNA Wrestling in January and their first show is going to be their uh, hard to kill pay-per-view, I believe probably... Hopefully in January they start really diving into the storyline aspects of whatever matches are going to be happening. But until then, we'll wait and see with that. But now with Impact Wrestling being out of the way, I still will be talking about everything as per usual. So with that being said, let's start the show. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Jey Uso coming to the ring. Jey Uso wearing his Yeet t-shirt. Jey Uso is back to say Yeet once again. I believe he was only... Not allowed to say yeet for like one week because it was found out, I believe, last week that the word yeet was trademarked, at least in the professional wrestling sense, by some independent wrestler. WWE was able to take care of that. So now Jay is back to wearing yeet, saying yeet, and WWE is able to say, well, sell the yeet t-shirts now. So we get that. Jay is in the ring. Jay would mention Sami Zayn being taken out last week by Drew McIntyre. Jay would tell Sammy to rest up and that he's going to get Drew and now walk Drew McIntyre out to the ring. Drew would first and foremost start off by saying that he does not want CM Punk on the Raw locker room. He wants Nick Aldis to take CM Punk because CM Punk will destroy the locker room inside from the inside. So Drew has that little bit right there. And the reason why he says this is because CM Punk on Raw is supposed to be making the decision of which brand he's supposed to be choosing, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, NXT, you will get that answer before Raw ends. Uh, then Drew would turn over to talking about Jey Uso and Sammy. Drew would admit that Sammy probably didn't deserve what he got last week, so Drew would condescendingly kind of apologize to, like, injuring Sammy last week. All in all, we would get to the match between Drew McIntyre and Jey Uso. Drew McIntyre would win the match by pinfall using dirty tactics when Jay would hit Drew with a spear, cover Drew, Drew would kick out. The referee would notice the top turnbuckle padding has been undone and removed. Drew did that earlier in the match, so as the referee is putting the top rope uh, turnbuckle padding back on the top rope, Drew would gouge the eye of Jay, and this allowed Drew to execute the Claymore kick onto Jay to win the match. So Drew has beaten Jay once again, and it seems that Drew is getting some measures of revenge, but it seems that he's not done with Jay, not following a long shot. Now, later in the night, we would find out that Drew McIntyre will be getting another World Heavyweight Championship opportunity against Seth Rollins on the January 1st, 2024 edition of Monday Night Raw. Now, after this, we will have a backstage segment with the Judgment Day. You see Rhea Ripley, Finn Balor, JD McDonough, Damian Priest. I mean, all of them's back there. And they will go over how things have not been basically going their way for the last week with Finn and, not Finn, but JD and Dominic getting beat up by the Kree brothers last week. Dominic losing the NXT 
North American Championship at deadline. And you just see them just kind of speaking towards one another. Priest will kind of step in and say that we're going to handle the Creed brothers. But you know what's bad as well? Dom not having someone here on Raw last week. And they're mentioning Rhea Ripley not being there. So you get this little back and forth between Rhea and Damian. And you can start seeing there's some frustrations here. Again, Rhea will throw out with Priest saying that for him to be the leader, he's not acting like a leader. So, again, we're starting to see more uh, volatile situations between Rhea and Priest here. And we're moving slowly and slowly closer to somebody getting kicked out of the Judgment Day. It's going to happen. We just don't know when, but you know that story. It's coming. Now, Rhea will leave because she has to face Maxine Dupree next. And when we get to this match... Rhea Ripley beats Maxine Dupree. It wasn't to nobody's, like, shock of this because Maxine Dupree is still kind of new, while Rhea Ripley, she's, like, the most dominant champion in WWE right now. So Rhea would beat Maxine Dupree by locking in a standing Texas uh, cloverleaf for submission, and Maxine Dupree would tap out. Rhea Ripley wouldn't let go, and she will only let go on her own time when she sees Ivy now standing on the apron. Ivy will get in the ring. You'll get a nice little stare down between Rhea and Ivy Nile. So it seems that Ivy's probably going to be the next woman to step up against Rhea Ripley. I mean, it's fresh blood for Rhea because Rhea has literally ran through everybody in the women's division. But Ivy's going to try her best, but we all know the end result. Rhea Ripley's still going to beat Ivy whenever they have their matchup. Now, next up, it's time for the decision whether CM Punk's going to be on Raw, SmackDown, NXT. So we get Adam Pierce out here, CM Punk will come out here, and CM Punk will be standing in the middle of the ring, and since they are in Cleveland, Ohio, CM Punk will talk about his past history in that building, from him debuting in WWE before he got sent to OVW, to him being the World Heavyweight Champion, then kicked in the head by Randy Orton, I believe in 2008, to him infamously telling off Vince McMahon in the back and walking away from WWE. Punk would go and apologize to anyone that he upset those many years, the fans, people in the back, people that looked up to him when he did walk away from WWE, and he would apologize. Punk would then get to business and talk about the brand he's going to pick. Punk would sign with Monday Night Raw because he says that Adam Pearce gave him a more lucrative deal on Raw, and also that he started his career technically in the WWE in Cleveland, and he wants to start it again here in Cleveland on Monday Night Raw. So we get CM Punk signing the contract. It's a feel-good moment until Seth Rollins comes out. Now, you know business is kicked up because you know Seth Rollins has some animosity to Punk. So when Seth gets in the ring, you get a nice stare down between the two. A nice little... I'll say about a good minute, and the fans are just eating it up. Punk isn't saying nothing. Seth isn't saying nothing. And the whole place is just going, holy crap. And they're having to censor the word. Now, with that moment passing, Seth will finally get a microphone, and we will hear Seth tell Punk how he truly feels about him. Don't you dare call this place your home. You abandoned this place 10 years ago. Not only did you abandon it, but you actively tried to tear it down. You spent 10 years slandering me, 
slandering every single person back in that locker room, and then you want to walk back in here and call this place your home? This is not your home. This is my home. I've been here. Everybody in the back, those are my brothers and sisters. Everybody here, everybody watching at home, that is my family, and this is our home. And I will do everything within my power to protect it from people like you. I hate you. But if you're going to be a part of WWE again, then I want you on Monday Night Raw. Because the truth always comes out, pal. The truth always comes out. I know, you know, everybody else knows. This is your last chance. And so, one of two things is gonna happen. Either you're gonna expose yourself, you're gonna self-destruct like you always do, and I'll be the first person in the back to slam the door shut on your legacy. Or if by some miracle, you have changed, and you've got any gas left in this old tank, Maybe one day you'll be lucky enough to stand across the ring from me in a World Heavyweight Championship match, and then I will expose you for the fraud that you are. Are you done? That's your one pass to stand here and speak to me disrespectfully without me coming after you. I have never asked for anything to be handed to me, and I've always done things stubbornly the hard way, and I'm here to do that. Adam Pierce, where are you at? We're making things official. We might as well make it official. CM Punk is entering the Royal Rumble, and when CM Punk wins, maybe, Seth, it's you he's coming after. So that was a confrontation of Punk and Rollins, and I must say this right now. When I first heard Seth talk about how he's defending WWE, how he is not allowing Punk to call this place his home, and how he uh, is tired of Punk and all that good stuff, this brought me back to CM Punk having his beef with Hangman Page when he was in AEW and how Hangman said he was defending AEW from Punk. That's the thing that brought me back to this. And I immediately tweeted out, okay, so they're going back to the Hangman Punk stuff. But the difference is both of these guys will be professional. Unlike the hangman and punk stuff, we all know how that went out. And I have no problem with punk and Seth doing this because Seth, he is a WWE guy. He has waved the flag of WWE whenever it was uncool to wave the flag of WWE during the mid uh, 2010s when Seth was top guy and independence was red hot and you had Ring of Honor teaming up with New Japan, all that type of stuff. And Seth was waving the flag of WWE and getting into some internet beef with Will Ospreay and all this type of stuff. And Seth was looked at as the dork. So I can see Seth having a problem legitimately with someone like Punk who has been on years and has been documented of him having disparaged WWE. And now he's coming back to saying that he's home. That's why I mentioned now two weeks ago when Punk said that he's back home. I said, oh, that's nasty work because that's crazy. In the eyes of someone that's been watching wrestling and hearing everything, it's crazy to hear someone disparage a place and then 
10 years later, come back saying that he's home today. He's actually that he disparaged. It's crazy when you're the flag bearer for all that time. So Seth saying that, it makes sense. But also, with Seth saying that, Punk, this is your last time. We all know this is your last go-around. We all know this is Punk's last go-around because we all know that Punk kind of burn bridges over there in AEW, and he has no other choice but to change over here, whether he's going to self-implode or he's going to, like, fully change out and show to everyone he has changed. This is going to be the determination, and I like how they're adding the real life into this fact here with the rivalry between Seth and Punk. And I did like how Punk personally told Rollins, one, how he allowed Rollins to get all that off his chest, but also he told him, are you done? And I'm allowing you to say all that because this is the only time I'm allowing you to say that. Disrespect me without me going after you. So he's giving Rollins that free shot. But after it, I'm not going to allow you to do that no more because I'm going to really start hurting you and I'm going to burn you down next time that you do this. That's basically the warning shot that Punk gave to him. But he also allowed Rollins to know that once he wins the Royal Rumble, he might go after Rollins. And that might is something that Rollins has to think about. Because think of the mental mind games that Punk is going to play with Rollins if he wins the Royal Rumble. Punk is able to go after Rollins by not really going after Rollins. He could say, I'm not going after you because I want the best member of the Shield. I want the guy. I want not the second guy. I want the actual guy that's been holding down WWE from the pandemic. The guy who's been champion for so many years. Not the Constellation Prize champion. Punk can do that and that will hurt Rollins in the head mentally, the character. Again, there's a lot of ways we can go with Seth and Punk. I think that's where we're eventually going. But just imagine the kind of mind games Seth and Punk could play. More Punk than Seth if Punk wins the Royal Rumble. But again, this one confrontation that they had on Raw is great because it sets up things down the line. But we now know that Punk is on Raw. We now know that we got in the whole Seth and Punk thing out of the way, so when that rivalry does kick up, we have that, and that Punk is now in the Royal Rumble, so we have all that established right here in this excellent segment. Now, next up, we will have Bronson Reed going against Ivar. Bronson would win the match by pinfall, hitting a superplex, and to my surprise, the ring did not explode. Usually, when you have two big guys uh, doing the superplex plot, they usually have the ring implode and it just breaks down but they didn't have that it seems like they enforced the ring and uh bronson he pinned ivar after that so there you go next up we've had the judgment day come down to the ring everybody's in the ring from judgment day except Rhea ripley and they're all out here basically to let everyone know that they're on notice now when they say this our truth will come out our truth for the past few weeks he's been Feeling that he's been in Judgment Day, you know the hard whole R-Truth deal that he's kind of just goofy and does funny things. So he does this, he comes out, he tries to tell the Judgment Day that he tried to get in their clubhouse and try to decorate in there, but they locked the front door and the back. J.D. McDonough isn't trying to hear none of this. Priest will have to tell J.D. to calm down. He actually want to hear what Truth has to say. So he tells Truth to come in. Truth will say, hey man, I think we need to get rid of J.D., and this would get JD to get upset. Uh, Dom will have to hold JD back. Finn, he'll be laughing in the ring. Priest, he'll even crack a smile. So, Truth did what he had to do to pop everyone in the ring. So, ultimately, Judgment Day ends up attacking Truth because Judgment Day are the bad guys. Truth is the good guy. And 
Truth is just there to just be a funny guy, but Judgment Day is trying to be serious. So they beat up on Truth. The Judgment Day would then get attacked by the Kree Brothers, who's making a save for our Truth. The Kree Brothers would make the Judgment Day retreat. And this was set up for their tag team championship match next week on Monday Night Raw with the Judgment Day defending the titles against the Kree Brothers. Now, next up, we have a women's tag team matchup. We have Katana Chance and Kaden Carter going against Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, where the women's tag champions Piper, Niven, and uh, Chelsea Green will be at commentary for this matchup. Uh, Candice and Indy will lose to Kaden and Katana by pinfall when Kaden and Katana will hit the after party, which is the neckbreaker 450 combo on Candice for the win. Now, this sets up for Katana and Kaden's shot at the Women's Tag Team Championship next week against Piper and Chelsea. So, there you have that. Next up, we have Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch will come down to the ring, and Becky will call out Nia Jax for what Nia Jax did to her over five years ago. They will even play the footage of Nia Jax uh, breaking Becky Lynch's nose five years ago, and Becky would even admit that she is calling out Nia because of the implications that people have been saying about Becky for so many years that uh, without Nia breaking Becky's nose, Becky wouldn't have gotten to the reach that she's out right now. So Nia will come to the ring. Nia will kind of echo that and try to get at Becky, but Becky would basically tell Nia, nope, if that was the case, the blood that ran down my nose, it just would have stopped right there. The fans wouldn't have cared, but me doing what I've been doing and constantly leveling up, that's what's got the people like faunting for me and cheering for me, all that type of stuff. So you got Becky ready there, wanting to face Nia right now, but that doesn't happen. Nia would tell Becky, you need this more than I do. And Nia would just leave the ring. So again, we're going to get Nia versus Becky somewhere down the line, but right now we're just not getting that. Uh, so, yeah, we just got to wait and see when we get Becky versus uh, Nia Jax. Next up, six-man tag. Imperium going against the team of DIY and a mystery partner, and their mystery partner would end up being The Miz. DIY will win the match with The Miz by pinfall, when The Miz will hit Giovanni Vinci with the Skull Crusher finale for the win. And once we get backstage, you will see Imperium... Uh, Gunther is talking to Vinci and talking to Kaiser, kind of scolding them. Miz will walk up to uh, Gunther and tell him that he wants an Intercontinental Championship matchup. And Gunther, he will tell Miz that you're becoming a pain in the butt. But then he tells him, you know what? Fine. You get your championship matchup on one condition. And that condition is, if I beat you, you don't get the challenge for the Intercontinental title as long as I hold it. Miz would accept, so we have that match, and it was not announced if it will happen next week. It'll probably happen two weeks from now, but we know we're getting that match. Now we move over to the main event, Shinsuke Nakamura going against Cody Rhodes. The match, I feel, got thrown out because when Cody would go for the crossroads on Shinsuke Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura would reverse it and spit the red mist into Cody Rhodes' face. This would make the referee call for the bell. Now, Cody, he is down on the ground. His, he's trying to get the mist out of his face. Nakamura would beat up on Cody some more until the referees will come out and separate Nakamura. Nakamura would get a chair. He looks to 
wanted to hit Cody with it, but the Kree brothers would again make the save like they did earlier for Truth. They do it here for Cody. They will run down. Nakamura will leave the ring, start walking up the ramp. You will see the referees and a backstage official come down to look after Cody, give Cody a towel to get the mist off of his face, uh, try to help Cody up to his feet outside of the ring, start walking with him up the ramp. Nakamura, he would run down and hit Cody once again with a uh, Kinshasa. And Cody would drop down and then Nakamura, he's done with his piece. He's done what he's done for Cody. And he would just put his hands in the air and start walking to the back. And that's basically the end of Monday Night Raw. Cody's down. Nakamura is done what he's done. And that's how Raw will go off. Now, am I upset with this? No. Because it's just the beginning of the Shinsuke Nakamura and Cody Rhodes feud. So we got more in the tank to go. And also, this is leading into the Royal Rumble. So, more Nakamura on our screen. That's great. And Cody Rhodes, again, he's a superstar. He can take... uh, getting spit in the face with a red mist from Nakamura basically easily. It's not going to hurt him in the least because we all know Cody, as I said, superstar, main event talent. We all know where he's going. So Cody just basically being the victim here on Monday Night Raw isn't going to hurt him in the end. Now, with that being said, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, next up, NXT. NXT will open up with Trick and Carmelo Hayes. Coming into the arena, they'll be stopped by people asking Trick Williams a bunch of questions because Trick Williams is the hottest man in NXT because he won the Iron Survivor uh, Challenge at deadline. So Melo will go into the building as Trick is answering the questions. Um, They would play the highlight video for people that didn't see deadline. And once the highlight video was over, we would go backstage and see Carmelo Hayes holding his knee, holding his leg as he looks to have been attacked. Referees would come over to Melo, ask him what happened. Trick would come into the building, ask Melo what happened. Melo would tell Trick that he has been attacked. Trick would ask him, do you know who attacked you? Melo would say, nah, I don't know. So that's how we will open up NXT, but then we will literally float from backstage to inside the ring where Core Jade is standing. Core Jade will talk about how everyone missed her how she was gone for the last four months and people will be tweeting her after every episode of NXT and how they can't wait for her to come back. So now that she's back, Cora will talk about how she laid out Lyra Valkyria at deadline, how she has been the talk of the NXT women's division and I will walk the NXT women's champion Lyra Valkyria. Lyra will tell Cora that she isn't the same woman that was here when Cora left. She is now the new NXT women's champion and Cora is not the talk of the women's division. Uh, next up, Blair Davenport will come to the ring. Blair will tell Lyra that she needs to focus more on her instead of Cora because Blair is going to be the woman that's going to take the NXT Women's Championship away from Lyra at NXT New Year's Evil. So Blair telling Lyra this out of walk Nikita Lyons. Nikita is out here because she wants to get at Blair. We will get an all-four-woman uh, brawl. You would get Nikita and Lyra basically teaming up to take out both Cora Jade and Blair Davenport. And once they take both of those ladies out of the ring, this will lead to a tag match later in the night. So that's set up. Now, first match of NXT would be a six-person tag match. You have Metaphor, which was represented by Lash Legend, Oro Mensa, and a Heritage Cup holder, Noam Dar, with Jakari Jackson in their corner, going against Josh Briggs, Brooks Jensen, and Fallon Henley. 
Briggs, Jensen, and Henley would win the match by pitfall when Josh Briggs would hit Noam Dar with the clothesline. Now, during this match, Tiffany Stratton, she would come down. She would do battle with Fallon. Fallon and Tiffany would fight up the ramp to the back, so this would leave Josh and Brooks by themselves. But as I said, Josh, he would win the team. He would win the match for his team with a clothesline on Noam Dar. And you can see how where they are positioning Josh Briggs because Josh Briggs, he had a good showing at deadline. He had a good showing against Carmelo Hayes weeks ago when uh, JBL put both Briggs and Melo in the Iron Survivor qualifying matchup. And you could tell that they want to have Josh Briggs in this singles uh, rollout. They want to put him as a singles competitor because later in the night, you will hear Josh Briggs tell both Brooks, Jensen, and Fallon that he has to keep this momentum going and that since he beat Noam Dar, he sees that he's next up in line to get a challenge at the Heritage Cup. Brooks, he doesn't see that for Josh because he tells him that's more of a six-round thing while you're more of a one-round type of guy. So you kind of see the dissension, or at least a slight little dissension between Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen, but all in all, after that concern would be brought up, Josh Briggs would tell Brooks, hey man, just follow me, you'll be all right, everything's going to be okay, but trust me, I need to handle this. Brooks would say, all right, we're going to do this. So it seems that we're, as I said, we're getting Josh Briggs in this singles role going into 2024. Now, next up, we will begin the men's breakout tournament. In the first matchup for the breakout tournament, you have Oba Femi going against Miles Bourne. Oba would win the match by pitiful by hitting a pop-up powerbomb to win the match. Oba Femi, he was in NXT I want to say early this year or probably late last year because he went against Oro Mensa. I do remember that. And ever since that match, he hasn't been seen on NXT. So I'm glad they brought him back here for the NXT breakout tournament. He's like one of the leading guys in the breakout tournament. You have him in here. You have some other guys in here. The big thing to take away from this is that Lexus King is now going to be in the breakout tournament because he took out one of the original competitors when they had to introduce all the different competitors here. He took out one of them with a chair in the back. So with Lexus taking that particular gentleman out, Lexus now takes his spot. So we won't see Lexus King wrestling until probably next week in the breakout tournament. But we would have another breakout tournament matchup later in the night, and I'll get to that in a minute. After this match, we have the North American Championship being defended, Dragon Lee having an open challenge, and Tyler Bate, would accept this open challenge. Dragon Lee and Tyler Bate, they would have an excellent match, but Dragon Lee, he would retain his North American Championship by pinfall by hitting Operation Dragon, or better known as the Destino, on Tyler Bate to retain his North American Championship. Dragon Lee is basically going to be doing the Wesley. He already says that he is uh, paying tribute to Wes because Wes is out right now in that he is the greatest North American Champion of all time, and he just wants to pay homage to Wesley. So he's going to be defending the North American Championship every week on NXT, and we already find out his next challenger will be someone from the Drew Gulak-like stable. So we got to find out whether it be Drew Gulak, will it be Miles Bourne, or Damon Kemp, or even uh, Regal's kid. What's my man's name? God, I can't. Uh, Charlie Dempsey. So one of those two guys, one of those four guys, will be facing uh, Dragon Lee next week on NXT. Now, next up, we will have Dijak going against Eddie Thorpe. This match would eventually get thrown out because Dijak would ram Eddie into the corner and the top turnbuckle, like, 
whole piece would actually like pop off. Now this would cause the crowd to do the whole holy crap moment chanting. And you would see that Dijak got his side of his face, well not face but head, busted. So you see blood right there. The referee starts putting gloves on his hands. Dijak, he takes that top turnbuckle piece and starts beating on Eddie with it. This would cause the referee to throw the match out. And you see him beating on Eddie with it some more before the referees come out to separate Dijak from Eddie. And Dijak will leave the ring. He holds his head still trying to, like, tell the referees he's okay, still feeling the blood. And as you think Dijak is done, nope, Dijak will get back in the ring, grab Eddie on his shoulders, and just throw him onto the second turnbuckle, and that'll be it. So we're continuing the Dijak and Eddie Thorpe business. This has been happening since, I want to say, probably like August. So they're continuing this here. I'm not mad with it because it gives Eddie Thorpe some time on television. It also gives Dijak some time on television. It gives both men something to do. So I would suspect we'll probably get a matchup between those two probably at New Year's Evil, maybe. Uh, after this, NXT Breakout Tournament will continue. We have... Keanu Carver going against Riley Osborne. He is a part of the uh, Andre Chase University. That's his whole gimmick here. And he is a former independent wrestler in the UK named Josh Terry. I have no idea who this guy is. So this is my first time actually seeing him actually like wrestle. But Riley uh, Osborne would win the match by pinfall by hitting a shooting star press onto Keanu Carver. Now, the big thing to take away from this match is Keanu Carver, this is his first time in the ring. Like, this is his first time wrestling. They would mention that on commentary. And he will have a solid match with uh, Riley Osborne here. Keanu Carver, he's a big dude. He was able to hit Riley Osborne with the pounce and actually sent Riley flying a little bit. And that got people, like, doing a oh chant. So, I can see the possibilities of what uh, Keanu Carver can do here. I'll say this, with more teaching, Keanu Carver could be one of the next big things, and I will start him off in a tag team. He needs to be a tag team wrestler. He needs to be the power for someone else's, like, power for someone else's speed. So if you get a team of a power and speed, that'll be great. Or you can just get two big power guys. Keanu Carver and Oba Femi, if Oba doesn't win the NXT Breakout Tournament, I can see those two teaming together and just being just two big brick house dudes just dominating the whole tag team division because we've been missing that. You don't get too many big like dudes beating up teams as a tag team. You don't get that. We already got one with uh, Reggie or Scripps in his team that he's uh, managing out the mud and... Who else on NXT? I think that's about it. Everybody else kind of got a combination, whether it be uh, a power guy, speed guy, or two brawlers, or two guys that are speed. You don't really have two big brick house dudes. Like I said, that's not too common. So if we get Obafemi, if he doesn't win the match, well, tournament, I can see him and probably uh, Keanu Carver being a team to just dominate the tag team division. But again, I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking... What I do see, they could probably change it up. But again, that's so far what happened in the tournament. So right now, Obafemi and Riley Osborne, they have advanced in the NXT Breakout Tournament. Next up, we have a tag team matchup of Nikita Lions and Lyra Valkyria going against Cora Jade and Blair Davenport. 
Cora and Blair would win the match by pinfall when Blair would hit Lyra with a knee strike to the face. Nikita would pull uh, Blair out of the ring. However, Nikita doesn't know that Blair is not the legal competitor for her team. It is, in fact, Cora Jade. And once Cora sees Nikita out there fighting with Blair, Cora will go over to Lyra and cover her for the pin, well, for the win and win for her team. So you got Cora and Blair beating Nikita and Lyra because of Nikita's own personal hatred and disdain for Blair Davenport, the woman that took her out and put her on the shelf for all those months. So once the match ends, you see Nikita go over to Lyra and kind of put the woman's championship on her and tell her, hey, it's okay, it's going to be all right. And you would see Tatum Paxley come into the ring and throw Nikita out of the ring. Nikita goes over to Lyra and just stares at her and tries to just look at her some more. There's been this thing going on in NXT for the past, I want to say, couple weeks now, where Tatum Paxley has either been in the background or been right next to Lyra, trying to be Lyra's either partner or just be closely associated with Lyra. We don't know the backstory. We don't know the story of why Tatum is doing this. We just know that Tatum wants to be close to Lyra for some reason. So we got to wait and see as more time we'll talk about it and show on NXT. But yeah, Blair and Cora, they have some momentum as Blair goes into New Year's Evil to go against um, Lyra Valkyrie for the NXT Women's Championship. Now, after this, we go to our main event segment here. We have Trick Williams coming down to the ring. Trick Williams, he's excited. He's happy. The fans are cheering for Trick. Fans are loving Trick, as I said at the beginning of this whole NXT review. Trick Williams is the talk of the town. Trick Williams is the uh, most hottest loving guy in NXT right now because he won the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge at Deadline. Trick would give it up to the four competitors that he was in the ring with at Deadline. He wouldn't clown them. He says that he went against four of the best that the industry has to offer here at NXT, but he ended up winning and ended up pulling out some great, well, greatness at the end of the matchup because he put up points and he started calling himself Trick McGrady, Trick Jordan. I mean, he just started freestyling, just basically saying that he is that dude. And then he talks about how he plans on going to New Year's Evil to face Ilya Dragunov for the NXT championship. So when you mention a champion, you know what happens next. The champion comes out. So Ilya will come to the ring. Ilya would show Trick respect. He would say that, hey, I wasn't able to watch your match live because I had to get myself together for my match at deadline. But after I got done, I watched your performance and you were ecstatic. You were it that night. And he even daps up Trick Williams. And he even gives the old hee-ho of telling the fans to start the chant and whoop that trick for Trick Williams. So you can tell that Ilya has a lot of respect for Trick. And they kind of cultivated that respect for the last couple of months between those two. So you get Ilya saying this. Ilya would tell Trick, but with me saying all that, at New Year's Evil, your momentum stops. Because you're not beating me for the NXT Championship. You're not going to beat me because I have sacrificed too much to hold this championship. And I have sacrificed too much to hold on to this title. And that is just not happening. So you still get this respect out of Ilya the Trick. But he lets Trick know that you're just not winning. So you get that from Ilya. 
then out walks Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo Hayes, who earlier was attacked, he's out here because after he got attacked, when he was in the medical room with Trick Williams, the doctor would tell Melo that you seem all fine. You'll be able to compete in the U.S. Championship Tournament. Oh, yeah, by the way, Carmelo Hayes, he'll be uh, going against, I believe, Grayson Waller on SmackDown for the U.S. Championship Tournament because Shawn Michaels named him that. So, yeah. With all that being in jeopardy, the medical examiner would tell Trick and Mello that Mello is good in that he'll be able to compete. And Trick, backstage with Mello, asks him, hey, do you know who attacked you? He says, I don't know who attacked me, but I have an idea because I know the way that whoever hit me, I know that person's movement. I know how that felt, whoever hit me. So I know the person. So Mello's out here. Mello tells Trick, and Ilya, that he has to handle this business right now, Ilya would say, well, I'm going to leave you and Trick to it. And Melo tells Ilya, no, you don't go nowhere. So Ilya would stand there. Melo would tell Trick, point blank, that it was Ilya that attacked both of us. Now, you get this whole shock out of everybody. Everybody's trying to figure this thing out. Ilya's trying to figure this thing out. Ilya's, like, looking at this like, you got to be kidding me. Melo would tell Trick, Think about it. Who had the best to gain out of me and you having some problems between each other? Because he knows that when he went against one of us, he'll have to get, go against both of us. So you see this. You get this uh, talk from Mello. Ilya would tell Trick, point blank, that your friend is not all the way there right now. I didn't attack him, and I didn't attack you. And he would tell Trick, point blank, to his face, look at me, look at me in my eyes as I tell you. I did not attack you. So you get this stance from Ilya. Trick would tell Melo, hey man, I hear you. You got your point across. You see Trick kind of like trying to de-escalate the situation because Melo, he's still trying to talk. He's still trying to get Trick to believe that Ilya was the guy that attacked both of them. So you get Melo trying to be the instigator. Trick trying to calm it down. All in all, Melo would tell Trick that Ilya is going to lose something the same way that I lost something, the same way that you lost something, and you see that Melo go after the NXT Championship, trying to grab it from Ilya. So you get this tussle between Carmelo and Ilya for the NXT Championship. Trick would walk over to them to try to calm them both down, and Ilya will let go of the championship, and Melo would accidentally hit Trick in the head with the NXT Championship, and this would knock Trick down. Now, both men are in shock as Trick is down on the mat holding his head. Ilya would walk over to Melo, grab back his NXT championship, and now Melo's in the middle as he's looking at Ilya with the NXT championship. Then he's looking back at Trick, looking concerned a little bit. And there's one little integral point that I don't know if people saw it, is that Melo would go over to Trick and extend his hand out to help Trick up. Trick would see it and start reaching his hand over to Melo. And then Melo in the Slightest moment that he almost touched Trick's hand, he would drop his hand and then turn back to Ilya and look at him. And you get this, like, facial moment from Trick looking at Melo like, are you serious right now? So I can see this being built up into next week where Trick asking Melo, what was that? You didn't help me up. You went back to look at Ilya with the NXT Championship. What was that all about? So, again, we're building more into this whole deal of who attacked Trick, who attacked Melo, or did anybody even attack Melo? And that whole deal with Ilya Dragunov, because when you think about it, 
Melo's whole problem has been starting since he faced Ilya at the beginning of this summer. So you got Melo, who hasn't been feeling like him since then. And now that Ilya has the championship, Trick is the guy that everybody's been talking about. And now Melo's kind of like third willingness. You kind of see that Melo is kind of having a little mental breakdown himself in a little bit. So again, I like to see where the stories keep going. I like how they're progressing it, how they're telling it, and hopefully we get some resolve as we go into 2024. Now, with that being said, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we move over to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would start off with Samoa Joe coming to the ring. Samoa Joe would talk about what happened to MGF last week. Joe would talk about how he was supposed to be watching over MGF until that match at World's End, but last week he failed because MGF got laid out. Joe would mention how he went around and looked at MGF's prone body last week and saw a particular brand of beer bottle that was shattered. Joe would say that he knows exactly who drinks that type of beer, and he was looking for a particular cowboy backstage, but he couldn't find him anywhere. So when you see Joe say this, you know what's coming next. Hangman Page. Hangman Page will come out. Hangman Page will tell Joe that he, if he has something to say, he can say it to his face like a man. So you would get this moment between Samoa and Joe and Hangman, and you think that something's about to happen between the two. But before anything could happen, Roderick Strong and the Kingdom will make their way down to the ring. Roderick Strong would tell Samoa Joe that Hangman didn't attack MJF because he knows his young boy. And he's referring to in uh, back in Ring of Honor... Uh, about a decade or some odd years ago, Hangman Page was the young boy. And what you don't know, the young boy is basically the rookie for someone, the underling. Hangman Page was the underling for Roderick Strong when Roderick Strong was in a group called The Decade. It was Roderick Strong, Jimmy Jacobs, and BJ Whitmer in Ring of Honor. So that's bringing back you some uh, knowledge in history between the relations between Hangman and Roderick Strong. Roger Strong would then tell Samoa Joe to look at past instances with the devil and the henchmen and the people that they have been attacking. He would lay out Jay White and say that Jay White got attacked by the devil's henchmen whenever he was going after MGF for the AEW world title. And how supposedly the devil henchmen attacked MGF last week, but nobody saw them lay a hand on MGF. We just see a video of MGF just laid out. So you get Roddy here putting pieces together and saying that MGF is the devil. Uh, Heyman Page, he would try to tell, well, turn Roderick around. Roderick would tell Heyman, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to Samoa Joe. That's when Heyman would punch Roderick Strong and we would get our match started between Roderick and Heyman Page. Heyman would win the match by pinfall by hitting the dead eye on Roderick Strong. Hangman had to fight off not only Roger Strong, but the Kingdom throughout this whole entire matchup. He was able to do so, so Hangman was able to do this. We don't see Samoa Joe the rest of the night, but this is not the last time we will see Hangman Page. Now, after this, we will get to our Blue League of the Continental Classic. We have Brody King going against Andrade El Idolo. At this time, both men are sitting at six points with Andrade beating Brian Danielson on collision this past Saturday and Brody King he beat Claudio two weeks ago so as I said both men are sitting at six and six Andrade would win the match by pinfall by DDT Brody's head into the metal rod that was exposed um in the matchup and then Andrade will follow this by hitting 
Brody King with a hammerlock DDT to win the match. So this gives Andrade three more points, making him have a total of nine points and be the leader of the Blue League for the Continental Classic. So I like we see in this anything wins attitude by Andrade because if you didn't see the match with uh, Brian Danielson and Andrade, Brian Danielson has an eye patch, which I think everybody should know. And Andrade, he took the eye patch off of Brian and he started going after Brian's eye. He started going after the uh, scar that Brian has that got surgery on it. And he just starts to put his finger trying to open the scarring up. And Andrade was being ruthless with Brian in their matchup on collision because any means necessary to win his match. He does that here with Brody King. He hits Brody with a DDT on an exposed uh, metal rod that is holding the turnbuckle top turnbuckle padding and again Andrade's doing anything he can to make sure that he wins and progresses more into this tournament and I have no problem with this and also this wouldn't be the last time that we see someone as well do by any means necessary to win their match in the Continental Classic now next up we have Kenny King and Chris Jericho better known as the Golden Jets that's their tag name coming to the ring Jericho will talk about why he has been gone for the last few weeks. It's all because Ricky Starks and Big Bill attacked him backstage a couple weeks ago. So you will see Jericho call out both Bill and Ricky, and the tag champions will come out to the stage. So you have Ricky and Bill talk about how they have no problem with Kenny, but they can't fathom how Kenny can team with someone who isn't trustworthy like Chris Jericho. Kenny will tell both Ricky and Bill that he already knows he can't trust Chris. And Jericho knows that as well. Kenny would take a pot shot at Big Bill and recall his previous group, The Firm, and their short-lived angle with MJF. And for people that are not aware or don't remember The Firm, The Firm was supposed to be MJF's group that happened last year at All Out. But that quiz, like that group quickly fizzled out, like going into MJF's match with John Moxley at full gear, like Towards the buildup for that match, you see the firm come out there, beat up on John Moxley. MGF tries to protect Mox, and he ends up getting beat up. I thought this was all the ruse. Everybody thought this was a ruse until uh, Full Gear happened, and nothing happened with the firm since then. So the firm quickly dissolved, and then Kenny bringing this back up again. It was just a pot shot at Big Bill, and this wouldn't be the only pot shot. Uh, you see, Kenny and Jericho both tried to come up with quick witty like nicknames or team names for Bill and Ricky Starks. Starks, he wouldn't have none of that. Starks being the smart man that he is, he would go after Chris Jericho in his clothing. Jericho would snipe back by saying, if I wanted to take something from someone with some clout, I would do it with Enzo Amore. And Kenny would have to shoot Enzo Amore some bell. He said, hey, not too much on Enzo Amore. At least with Enzo was here, or at least was around, he at least didn't take all the spotlight away from Big Bill. That's kind of the thing with Ricky Starks. He's kind of the, not hype man, but he's the star of the group, because Ricky Starks kind of is. Let's not call this a lie. Ricky Starks is the man. That's kind of what the whole team is about. These two guys, Big Bill and Ricky Starks, you need a big guy, you need a smaller guy. Ricky Starks is a smaller guy, but he's the guy that Everybody has the star and looking forward to him being a world champion. While Big Bill, he could be a world champion, but Ricky Starks is the sizzle. He's the spotlight man of the team. So with Kenny saying that, there's not too much 
off base. So you see that get underneath Ricky Stark's skin, Jericho and Omega will say that they can't wait to take the tag titles off of uh, Ricky and Bill. Ricky would say that they agreed to that match. So we get that match set up for World's End. And that's the end of the segment. I don't really got too many complaints about this segment. Certain people would not like it because Kenny Omega teaming up with Chris Jericho. It doesn't make sense. And again, I get everybody's complaint to it. But just remember, it's a part of the bigger picture here. The Don Callis family, people were saying this whole thing has been dragging on too long. Listen, it's going to come to an end sometime soon. Believe that. I'm going to call it right now. I think when World's End happened, I think the Young Bucks are going to interfere and they're going to team up with the Don Callis family because remember Jericho and Omega they took the tag team title opportunity away from the Bucks at uh what was it I believe it was the last pay-per-view full gear so again it's going to lead into that so don't worry we're going to get Kenny Omega being back to being a uh, singles competitor soon now after this we will have our next matchup we have Ruby Soho Going against Riho and the AEW Women's Champion, Tony Storm, will be on commentary. Tony's here just to watch her next challenger, try to get some uh, strategies on Riho. Riho would beat Ruby Soho by hitting a running Meteora on Ruby Soho. So that's the match there. No more needs to be said about that. I mean, it was a good match. They gave it time, so that's a good thing. But nothing really too big to come out of that, to be honest. Now we go over to our uh, Gold League of the Continental Classic. You'll have Roosh going against Jay Lethal. Roosh would win the match by submission by locking in a sleeper hold on Jay and making Jay tap out. Now, the big thing for this is that Roosh, he lost to John Moxley last week when Moxley would put Roosh in a sleeper hold. So Roosh does this to Jay Lethal, and he looks directly into the camera to kind of like send a message to Moxley because I think Roosh is going to be going after Mox after this whole content of the classic thing is done because Rouge wasn't happy with the way it ended last week with him basically passing out, but him quickly waking up after being passed out after his match with Moxley last week. So again, that's something to look forward to with Rouge and possibly Moxley after this content of the classic thing is done. And also after the match, when you saw Jay Lethal leave the ring, he's going up the ramp. He's being uh, comforted by Jeff Jarrett, Karen Jarrett and Sanjay Dutt. And as they're up on the stage, you can see Jay Lethal kind of push away from Jeff, Karen, and Sanjay. So you kind of can see that this thing is starting to get to Jay Lethal. He's got a fat donut in this Continental Classic. He has won no matches he's been in. So I think he's starting to probably second-guess himself and probably second-guess the company that he's been around. Because Jay Lethal was the franchise of Ring of Honor. He was a guy that had a whole lot of, not going to say potential, because... I would say Jay Lethal's like prime, prime years are kind of past him a little bit, but he still could pull out good matches whenever it needs to be. But he just hasn't been getting that type of traction that's needed for him to be proven a level to make people say that he belongs in a title picture. So I think this is where we're going with Jay Lethal. He's going to try to move away from Jeff Jarrett, Karen Jarrett, and Sanjay Judd and try to find that old Ring of Honor, the franchise player, Sanjay, not Sanjay, but uh, Jay Lethal going into probably 2024. Now, next up, we have another gold league matchup. We have Jay White going against Mark Briscoe. Jay White would win the match by pinfall when Jay would put his knees up when Mark Briscoe would go for the froggy bow. So Mark would land on Jay's knees. Then Jay would then hit the Blade Runner to win the match. So Jay White 
beats Mark Briscoe. Now we go to our main event of the Gold League. We have Swerve Strickland going against John Moxley. The big match that everybody wanted to see. The match that was, I'll say about a good 70-30. The fans were chanting for Swerve, but then you got some people still chanting for Moxley. But Swerve, he's the hottest, brightest star right now in AEW. Kind of like besides MJF. Swerve, with his star-making performance that he had with Hangman, not only at Russell Dream, but the most recently at Full Gear in the Texas Death Match, Swerve stock has really risen up, and people want to see Swerve really excel in AEW way more quickly and way more uh, faster than he was in his time already here. So we have this match with Moxley and swerve and mox would win by pinfall but he does it by countering the jml driver into a cradle pin and as he's holding uh swerve's leg he kind of grabs for swerve's belt and he gets extra leverage and what the referee doesn't see as well is that swerve's arm is up his shoulders off the mat but the referee misses it but he still counts to three so moxley wins the match and this gives moxley more points so now the bracket standing for the gold league Moxley is now in the top spot with 12 points. Swerve and Jay White follow behind it with both having 9 points. Roosh has 6 points, and Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal both have 0 points. So, as I said, um, with Andrade doing what he had to do to win, Moxley he did the same thing. Moxley did what he had to do to win to beat Swerve to be the top leader. So right now, it seems that Moxley already has a grasp on one of the four spots in the uh, Continental Classic, like quarterfinals, semifinals type spots. Moxley seems that he already grabbed the spot and he already mentioned it on commentary. So that's the gold bracket for AEW Dynamite. But before we would leave off the air, we would go backstage into the parking lot and we see four of the Devil's Henchmen attacking Hangman Page. They would beat up on Hangman Page. Hangman, he would try to fight back, but the numbers game is too much. And you see a car in the driveway. Uh, the person that steps out of the car is the devil, still covered in the devil mask. We have no idea who it is so far. He would, like, nod his head, and you see two of the henchmen grab Hangman up and double choke slam onto the car window and have it shatter. So, again... Everything what Roddy said has been coming to fruition. Everybody that's been going after MGF has been getting beat up. The only person who has not been getting beat up is Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe isn't the devil because, let's be honest, it's not him. Uh, but MGF, he hasn't been seen this week. He wasn't seen on uh, Dynamite. So people are might thinking this could be MGF. People are thinking it could be Adam Cole still. People are thinking it could be the returning... Uh, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. We all don't know who it could be. Right now, we're all enjoying this. I just know whoever is the devil, he was a bigger guy this week than he was the past times that we've seen him on television. When I saw him step out of the car, I was like, oh, he's a bigger dude. Okay, so this is weird. Um, and also, one of the henchmen, he was a big dude himself, like a lifter type dude. So people are kind of saying that that guy might be Warlow. I know one of the dudes, whenever Hangman was beating up on him, you kind of saw like a little purple on like, I don't know if it was like the belt that he was carrying or whatever, because whenever like the black uh, 
sweatshirt popped up a little bit. You saw purple, and I thought, okay, the only people that has purple in AEW or is synonymous with purple is members of the kingdom. So it either could be Mike Bennett or it could be Matt Taven. So right now, my hypothesis or thought process is the group that's beating up on the people that is trying to get at MGF, quote unquote, is the kingdom. You could probably have Roger Strong in there. Uh, you could do Warlow and the devil. Again, it still could be Adam Cole because each person could be aligned with Adam Cole because Adam Cole is supposedly MGF's best friend who's been rehabbing and changing MGF's whole attitude this past year. It could be him or it could be Jack Perry. We have no idea. It would be crazy if it was Jack Perry, but I don't know how the people would embrace Jack Perry. I don't know if you get half of the fan base that'd be like, okay, cool. Jack Perry, we can make sense of this or it'd be like, oh, boo, we would thought it'd be somebody else. So again, we got to, AEW got to play the field. Whatever person they pick as the devil, they got to stick with it and just drive it home. And I don't care if the fans like it or not, or matter of fact, even if I like it or not, they just got to drive it home and just stick with whoever they want as the devil and just make this thing pass. That's the only thing that I'm hoping for with this whole devil storyline with MJF and everything else. Um, but other than that, that's the end of AEW Dynamite. So with that, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the Tribal Chief. You have Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Solisico, and Jimmy Uso all out to the ring. And it's holiday season, Roman would start off with. And with it being holiday season, it's time for promotions. And you would get Roman start hyping up, saying that there's this one guy in this particular group that has been showing dedication and loyalty for the past year. He's been keeping his family up to the tippets of tops and he's been showing true loyalty and you got Jimmy Uso just in the back just thinking that it's going to be him and the camera work is so great because as Roman's talking about who this person is you see Jimmy literally behind him just constantly like smiling and just saying oh that's me that's me and once Roman's about to say the person's name Jimmy would take his jacket off and Roman would tell Jimmy to come forward and for them to congratulate Solo Sokoa because he will now be the new heir apparent for uh, taking over the tribal chief position once Roman steps down. So Jimmy comes over. He has like a, well, not even a smirk. He's like, okay, whatever. Roman would go over to Solo and put his arms out and Solo would hug Roman, but he does it in Solo style way. He goes over, just slowly puts his arm around Roman, just like taps him. So Solo has the blessing to become the new heir apparent since now main event uh, Jay Uso is on Raw. And it just shows you in this particular moment that Jimmy was never going to be the guy. So I wonder how those uh, life choices that he made to screw Jay at SummerSlam is going to pay off whenever they actually do wrestle. Because you know it's going to happen one way or another. Jay and Jimmy, they're going to wrestle somewhere down the line. Now with this whole heir apparent business being taken out of the way. I will walk Randy Orton. And now it's time for Randy to start talking to Roman. Randy tells Roman that he's been out for 18 months. And he's just basically back to just get at every person that's been. That basically did this to him. And he's going to do it one by one by one. And he's going to end it with Roman. 
at the Royal Rumble because he's challenging him for the WWE Championship. Roman, he will spit a couple of bars back at Randy saying that I'm on a different level. This ain't me from 2010. I'm on a different level. I am better than you and everyone else. You need to listen to those dumb voices in your head telling you that you need to step out of this ring, go to the back, and not come at me. Randy would give kudos to Roman saying, yeah, you have positioned yourself as a legend. But then you get this one little moment where the fans like kind of clicked on Randy said, legend. And Randy said, there's a lot of things in my life. And yes, I've evolved. But there's always going to be one thing about Randy Orton. And is that I'm a legend killer. So again, the fans picked up on it. Fans knew it. Randy kind of get a little smirk to the crowd, and he plays up to it, and he looks like he's about to RKO Roman, and he tries to, but Roman would just throw Randy off of him, and now you have it all set up. You know what's coming. Randy is going after Roman at the Rumble. That's what's happening. Um, We would get a backstage statement later in the night. You see Jimmy, Roman, Solo, Paul in Roman's uh, locker room. Roman is sitting next to Jimmy, and he just tells him, you know what, someone needs to take out Randy, because he's becoming a pest, and he doesn't need to be around, and Jimmy, he throws out the brilliant line saying, hey, I would do it, but this sounds like a job for the heir apparent, and Roman will have to tell Jimmy, this is promotion season, someone that does this will get a big promotion, and Jimmy Again, looking for that validation, he would say, you know what, fine, I'll do it. So in the main event of SmackDown, you get Randy Orton going against Jimmy Uso. Now also, in this, we go backstage, we see Randy Orton walking uh, backstage, and he would get walked up to by L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight and Randy will have this little talk, and Randy would tell L.A. Knight just basically, hey, listen, I have Roman I don't need your help. Do not interfere in my match with Jimmy later tonight. LA tells him, listen, I am going to go after Roman because Roman's all mine. And just to let you know, you need to have some numbers in your corner because the bloodline is the bloodline. So again, we're going to see what happens with those two before the night ends. Now, we will get to our first match of the night. It's for the United States Championship Contenders Tournament. We have Carmelo Hayes, who's the NXT representative, going against Grayson Waller. Carmelo Hayes would win the match by pinfall by hitting nothing but net on Waller to win the match. So Carmelo Hayes now moves forward in the United States Championship Tournament. Now, when Carmelo Hayes got announced for him to be the NXT representative, I thought, okay, Carmelo Hayes is going to lose. Because I thought, okay, we see the bracket, how it's going to go. You thought, okay, Grayson Waller is going to win because next up is either Kevin Owens or Austin Theory. And with that matchup, you know Kevin Owens is going to win, in which he does win because Austin Theory tries to go after uh, Kevin Owens' cast on his arm and tries to rip it off. Kevin Owens would pop Theory in the face with it and cover him for the win. So uh, Kevin Owens goes and advances in the tournament. We, we're going to get Carmelo Hayes versus Kevin Owens, but I thought, okay, when I looked at the brackets, I thought, okay, we're going to get Kevin Owens versus... Grayson Waller yet again, but no, WWE decided to switch it over and have Carmelo Hayes be uh, the winner over Grayson Waller, and I'm not mad at it. I'm glad that Carmelo Hayes is getting his time to shine on the main roster. He got it earlier this year. I believe Carmelo Hayes went against Finn Balor 
this year on Raw. So now he gets to show off his talent on SmackDown, and it's towards the end of the year. And everything that he's enthralled with, they can add this into the storyline with him, Trick, and Ilya as they move their way over probably next week on NXT. You got a lot of things to really dabble with here with Carmelo Hayes, but I'm liking how they are constantly having this uh, business mindset to move over NXT talent into the main roster spots and have main roster talent go and dabble their feet back into the NXT pool whenever they feel like it. I like this little back and forth that we're getting because previously, and I'm going to say it, Vince era, you wouldn't get the NXT like roster members really just like putting their feet into the main roster uh, talent pool unless it was them going up to the main roster. The only time we actually got this was like any time of this measurement was literally what the Kevin Owens whenever he got semi called up to the main roster. That's whatever Kevin Owens answered the chunk call for John Cena's United States Open Challenge. And he powerbombed John Cena, left Raw, went back to NXT, then he'll just pop up on the main roster, like, semi from weeks to lead up for Kevin Owens and John Cena to have their first matchup. And I believe that was, like, at Elimination Chamber. But I digress. That's the only time I remember, like, under the Vince era where an NXT superstar was still an NXT guy, but he went over to the main roster and performed, like, week-by-week basis. And still go over into NXT and do his business before he actually got called up to the main roster. I like that with NXT and WWE's relationship now that you could just see just any just person just dibble and dabble into any roster. And I like it personally. Hopefully we get more of that as the time comes. But yeah, next week uh, we're going to get Kevin Owens versus uh, Carmelo Hayes in the United States uh, tournament. Now, next up, we have Mia Yim and Selena Vega going against Asuka and Kairi Sane. Asuka and Kairi Sane would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Damage Controls, Dakota Kai, and Bailey. Now, when Mia Yim had the match in uh, her advantage, you see Dakota Kai get on the ring apron to strike the referee. Mia would try to go to the top turnbuckle. Uh, Bailey, she would run down to the ring, push. Mia Yim off the top turnbuckle. This allow Asuka to kick Mia in the head, and then Kyrie will hit the insane elbow to get the win for her team. So now this is two weeks in a row that Bailey has helped Damage Control win their matches, and hopefully we start to see Damage Control start at least not trying to turn on Bailey. We still know what's gonna happen. It's gonna it's gonna happen somewhere down the line. But with this story that we're trying to see now with Bailey, uh, trying to fix the cracks before it really starts to uh, get to the point that they are going to kick her out, Bailey's trying to fix that, trying to show that she is of use to damage control and all this stuff. And with her winning, well, being the winning ingredient for damage control two weeks in a row, you can see it's starting to work. And also, by the way, um, we would get a video package from Damage Control earlier in the night as well, and Bailey made out the points that Damage Control wants all the gold, so Kyrie Sane and Asuka, they're going after the Women's Tag Team Championships, Io, she's still going to be the WWE Women's Champion, and you have Bailey now entering herself, and I think she's the first woman's entrance into the Women's Royal Rumble, 
for this year, and Bailey plans on winning that and tried to go after Rhea Ripley for the WWE Women's World Championship so Davis Control could have all the gold. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Do I think Bailey's going to get eliminated by her own members of Damage Control? Yes. Or, plot twist, she can eliminate Damage Control in the Royal Rumble. Like I said, there's a that's a story going into the Rumble that we can see, but I'm going to really look into how the rest of Damage Control really treats Bailey leading up into the Rumble. But again, I like the story of what they're telling. I hope they continue on and just continue to provide great story telling with Bailey, Damage Control, and all that leading up into the Rumble. Because as I said, we all know it's coming. We all know somebody's going to turn. And if they're smart, they'll probably do another type of reaction that we got earlier this year where Sammy would turn on the bloodline instead of bloodline turning on Sammy. We'll get Bailey turning on Damage Control and doing it first before they can do a turn. So we'll wait and see what that. Now, on to the main event for SmackDown. You have Randy Orton going against Jimmy Uso. Randy Orton would win the match by pinfall by hitting Jimmy with an RKO. And just as earlier was stated, LA Knight, he would come down to make sure that uh, Bloodline members would not interfere because Solo Sokoa would try to interfere later in the matchup. But LA Knight, he would uh, attack Solo on the stage, throw him into the guardrail. That's how Solo Sokoa was not able to interfere and allow Randy to get the win on Jimmy Uso. So after the match, you see Randy looking at LA Knight, and he's just staring at Knight as Knight's trying to tell Randy, see, I told you, you need to have numbers on your side. And LA Knight would get blasted from the back by Roman Reigns. Roman would take care of LA Knight, and now you got this little stare down between Randy, who's in the ring, Roman Reigns, who's on the uh, stage, and Roman would just get in the ring, and you just start seeing Roman and Randy just going blow for blow, and now they start brawling. Jimmy Uso, he would get up, he would start attacking Randy. Now it's a two-on-one beatdown. LA Knight, he would get up, it's two-on-two. So it's a goal, he would get up, and now it's a three-on-two. Bloodline has the advantage. They're beating up on both LA Knight and Randy Orton until AJ Styles' music would hit. And we haven't seen AJ for, God, I believe before, uh... Not Night of Champions is the last one. Crown Jewel where Sosako and Jimmy Uso took out AJ Styles. So that was about late September, early October. So we haven't seen him for that for those many months. So AJ Styles, he will pop out, but he wouldn't go through the regular entrance way. He'll pop through the crowd and he would be on the apron waiting for Roman to turn around. And once Roman did, AJ would hit him with a phenomenal forearm. And now you got Randy, LA Knight, both taking care of both Jimmy and Solo. So the good guys are left in the ring as the bloodline has to retreat. And as the bloodline is standing on the ramp looking at AJ, LA Knight, and Randy, you see AJ turn LA Knight around and just clothesline him. And everybody's shocked by this. Randy, he looks over at AJ to see if AJ wants to do something. And AJ just stares at Randy. Then AJ stares back at the bloodline. AJ will leave the ring, walk past the bloodline, and that's how SmackDown will end. So we have this cliffhanger of why the AJ tag LA Knight will probably get an explanation hopefully next week on SmackDown. Um, Jimmy, he's probably going to get cracked on by Roman because he didn't take care of Randy. So this is Jimmy's, again, failure of attempt to try to please the bloodline since he's trying to get back in because he's not officially in yet. Just want to let everyone know that. And Randy, again, this is just another notch on his belt because he's still trying to go one by one. 
after the members of quote unquote bloodline. So Jimmy's done. So now you know who's the next one up solo. So we got to wait to see when that match is going to happen. But uh, yeah, that's how SmackDown will end. Now, moving over to AEW Rampage. Rampage will start off with a trios matchup. You have the international champion Orange Cassidy teaming up with the Von Eriks, Ross, and Marshall Von Eriks. That is the sons of Kevin Von Erick going against uh, Angelo Parker, Matt Menard, and Jake Hager. You will see Marshall Von Erich pick up the win by rolling up Angelo Parker for the win. And then after the match, you see Angelo... Matt Menard and Jake Hager start beating up on uh, Devon Eriks and Orange Cassidy until Dan Housen would get in the ring. He'll do his whole curse spot, and then you'll see Kevin Von Eric come out and just lock in the Iron Claw on Jake Hager. They're in Texas. The people in Texas are loving it. They love Devon Eriks, and plus, with the movie The Iron Claw, which is the story about Devon Eriks coming out next, I believe, this upcoming Friday, uh, hopefully this was good marketing for them to get people to look into Iron Claw, hopefully want to see the movie, and just, that's all I know for this uh, matchup, and again, not a bad matchup, it was cool for what it was, you know what it was about. Now, next up, we had the Don Cows family, which was represented by Powerhouse Hob and Kyle Fletcher going against uh, Hunter Gray and Paul Titan, basically squash match. Uh, Don Callis' family would win the match by pinfall by hitting, I believe, uh, one of the two guys with a world's most dangerous slam powerhouse would do that to win the match. Again, squash match, beat up on two guys. Uh, Don Callis, he would get a microphone, call out Chris Jericho who was on ringside commentary, and he would say that Don Callis' family is going to beat up the Golden Jets. And they're going to play by family rules, which means two members of the stable can challenge the Golden Jets. And that's what they're going to do. Again, Don Callis family going after the Golden Jets, it is what it is. But that's not going to be able now. Because uh, Kenny Omega, he would come out Friday night, late Friday, with a tweet. And he would say that he can't sugarcoat this. He's out indefinitely. And we don't know what he's out with. There's rumors and speculation saying that he is dealing with uh, diverticulitis. And he's been dealing with that for some time now. Again, we don't know what the injury is, but Kenny Omega is out indefinitely. So anything that has anything to do with the Golden Jets, their match with uh, Ricky Starks and Power, uh, Big Bill for the AEW Tag Team Championships, this whole Don Cal's family storyline, it's all kind of... In limbo, because we have no idea when Kenny Omega is going to come back. So I expect Tony Khan to probably say something about this on Wednesday's episode of Dynamite to figure out who's going to go against Big Bill and uh, Ricky Starks at World's End. So first and foremost, I hope Kenny Omega gets himself uh, together and take the time that he needs to heal himself up. He is 40 years old, which I didn't know he was 40. I thought he was probably in his like late 30s, like 36, 38, but him being 40 and still competing the way that he competes, it's crazy, and I wonder how long he's been dealing with this, like, injury or this situation. I wonder how long he's really been dealing with this, um, but yeah, Kenny Omega, I hope he uh, rests up and just gets himself uh, better. 
Now, next up, we have Anna Jay going against Red Velvet. Anna Jay would win the match by submission, by locking Red Velvet into the Queen Slayer. Now, Anna Jay did get some help from Matt Menard. Matt Menard would get on the apron and just distract Red Velvet to allow Anna Jay to hit uh, the Queen Slayer, which is a sleeper hold, to win the match. So you see Matt Menard still being the side of Anna Jay, making sure she's still good and making sure they're still good even though Angela Parker is still trying to uh, floor it around with Ruby Soho. So you can see where this partnership is going. Probably Anna Jay and Matt Menard will probably go against uh, Ruby and Angela Parker probably down the line. That's why I see this thing happening. Now in the main event, we have another trios matchup. You have Top Flight and Action Andretti going against Pinta El Zero Miro, Commander and Vikingo. Top Flight and Action Andretti would win the match. By pinfall when Dante Martin would hit Commander with a spin-out side slam for the win. I saw, like, the middle to the end of this match on YouTube from AEW's, like, official page. And this was everything for what you needed to be. I'm going to try to find this match in its full totality. Um, the crowd was into it. The commentary team was into it. The performers, everybody in there was hitting everything. And again, this shows that Top Flight is a top tag team in AEW that needs to be put more focus on in 2024. And that Action and Dirty with Top Flight, they could be the next trios champions. It's all about when they want to pull that trigger on these three guys. And I understand why they're a little bit hesitant. Darius Martin, again, was in a car accident and he was injured for some time. And then when he came back, Dante Martin, he ends up getting injured. Dante just coming back, and now they probably might be thinking maybe threes to strike. Action and Dreddy might be next up to be injured, and I'm not wishing that. I'm not saying that at all. Again, you just got to be careful of certain things, because I see Tony Khan wanted to put stock into Dante Martin when Darius was out, and you saw how much he put into Darius Martin. Not Darius, but Dante when Darius was out. He was like the guy for a good certain amount of time until... Well, they started drifting away from Dante Martin and doing what they were doing before. So now with Dante being back and Darius in action and ready, this three-man unit that's working nicely. Hopefully they do something with them. Penta, Commander, Vikingo, they all play their part. They were nice uh, counterparts to Top Flight and Action and Dreddy. Again, if you can find this whole match, I would suggest you watch it. I'm going to try to watch it, but if you can't, just go to AEW's YouTube page, and trust me, you'll see from the middle of this match to the end how much the crowd was into it, the commentary team was into it, and the wrestlers were getting at it. So again, uh, Rampage main event was a good main event for what I saw. So with that being said, that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get you guys out of here, two things I forgot to mention. One, prayers up to Jay Cargill. She lost her mother this past week. She would post that on social media, so I want to say prayers to Jay Cargill and her family, and I hope they're able to uh, gingerly get over this uh, time of passing. And also, Charlotte Flair, she is out with the injury. They are saying that it's some type of knee injury, probably ACL, and that she'll be missing majority of next year. They say that uh, a recovery period of that is six to nine months. I want to wish Charlotte Flair the best in that, and hopefully she's able to recover from that, get back to doing what she was doing, and still be one of the top women in WWE, because you know WWE loves Charlotte Flair. They love what she's doing, and they uh, 
put a lot of stock into Charlotte. And I see why. from Because she's has that aura that whenever she walks in, she just commands the attention. And again, the WWE presentation of Charlotte is able to hit all the presentation marks that they want to hit. But uh, yeah, I hope Charlotte Flair is able to uh, come back and just be better than what she was previously and uh, just get back to it. Now, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, I am him. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. If you guys did not listen to my midweek episode, it is available to you right now. And also remember, my Sunday episode, which I talk about everything in the news from this week, will be coming out tomorrow. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Now, I believe that's all the self-promotion that I want out of the way. So again... I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Be blessed. You'll hear from me later.